Welcome to Mamas on a Mission. If you're a Melbourne mum, you've landed in the right place. Hey, I'm Holly, the host of this podcast, Chief Mummer of Motherhood Melbourne and co-founder of Facing Motherhood. Each week you'll hear from inspiring local mummers that are on a mission to help you get through the toughest hood of all, motherhood. Season three is kindly supported by my podcast partner, Bliss Early Learning, an Australian-owned premium provider in the childcare and preschool space. Okay, let's kick things off. So the finish line is in sight for the end of year wrap ups with school and work and it's time for a little breather. That's why after this episode, the podcast will be having a mini break over Christmas and New Year's. Mamas on a Mission will be back with a bang in 2020 on Wednesday the 8th of Jan. So hit subscribe so you don't miss future eps and feel free to go back through the archives to listen to Melbourne Mamas stories that you haven't heard before. I wish you all a merry everything and a happy sleep in or two. Thanks for being a fabulous supporter of my mission to help us connect through stories of motherhood. Before I go on, I just want to say that the sound during the first 10 minutes of this interview is a little echoey, but we switched mics, so please keep listening. You don't want to miss this. Now let me introduce you to my last guest for 2019. Lael Stone is a birth, parenting, and sexuality educator. This woman is a mama of many talents, and an hour does not suffice with telling her story. Lael is one of the women behind About Birth, Australia's leading online birth education program that covers birth, pregnancy, and having a baby. Lael also works with parents through workshops and one-on-one around all aspects of parenting with a focus on creating deeper connections in their family relationships. This helpful nature continues on with Lael co-hosting the Aware Parenting podcast. Lael is also well sought after by schools to deliver her curriculum program for teenage girls called The Connection Program. She also does what many of us fear and chats with teenagers about sex. And she tells a cracking story about facing a whole year level of teenage boys. So stay tuned for that one. And now Lael is also embarking on an incredible project. She's currently building a primary school to help change the current education paradigm. Woodline Primary is a small school set on a 20-acre farm in the beautiful Geelong hinterland. You'll hear all about this in the episode. Having Lael as a guest gave me an opportunity to ask her questions that I know plague many of you. A common theme that's come up when speaking with the Motherhood Melbourne community is birth trauma and the effects that it has on us as a mum. I've experienced it myself twice and it was the reason I started Motherhood Melbourne. Lael kindly shares some strategies we can use to recover from birth trauma and also ways that we can create a positive birth experience. As a bit of a sexpert, I couldn't help but ask Lael for tips around healthy conversations with kids about sexuality. Yes, she talks about how to have the sex talk. (laughs) We also talk about the aware parenting philosophy and how it can help you feel more connected with your kids. Now, if you're tuning into this app, I'd love to know. Share it on your Insta stories with a screenshot. Tag Motherhood Melbourne and Lael Stone. Let us know what tips you've picked up or leave a review on the podcast app. Okay, now Lael starts with telling us about what led her to becoming a birth, parenting and sexuality educator. Let's meet Lael. My work in birth has probably spanned for the last 16 years and really it came about because of my own birth experiences. So when I had my son 19 years ago, I was one of those women who knew nothing about birth. Like my whole um, vibe was going to be, look, I'll just burn essential oils. That'll be right. I'll be fine. Right. So I didn't read a book. I went to no birth classes. I was completely in denial. I was very naive. I was young. So I was 25 when I had my son and I just kind of went with, oh, how hard can it be kind of vibe. Um, And it was, it was really hard. (laughs) 
um, I ended up having a really long kind of, you know, one of those drawn out three day birth experiences. You know, I wanted to have this natural water birth, but I didn't even really know what that meant and ended up having all the interventions under the sun. And then when my son was born and placed on my chest, all I could remember thinking was what the hell just happened to me. So looking back as a birth educator, I realized I probably did have quite a lot of post-traumatic stress from that first birth, but being young and not having any friends that had kids, I kind of just got on with mothering. So it wasn't realized that I'd actually had a bit of trauma and I really did need to do something that was going to be a positive experience as I felt really scared about giving birth again. And that's when I found an amazing midwife and a beautiful home birth doctor and, and chose to have my second baby at home. And that moment changed my life. Like it was still challenging, but the moment I gave birth to my daughter, I remember thinking, this is how you're meant to feel. It was the most magnificent feeling of triumph and success and bonding and attachment and love and all the things that I didn't feel when I had my little boy. And so then I just kind of thought, you know what, there's something in this. All of a sudden it just fueled this fire in me to go, I want other women to have positive experiences no matter how that unfolds. So I ended up um, doing a whole lot of research. I went to every workshop you could possibly imagine. I went and trained as a doula. I read every book that was possible um, around birth and I just threw myself into the world of birth. So I then became a calm birth practitioner. So I started teaching calm birth met my business partner the lovely Jules and we started a business together called about birth and we supported women at birth in whatever they desired or wanted you know we really work with there's no right or wrong way to give birth we just want women to have positive birth experiences and so that's what kind of got me working in the field of birth so from all of that so you know I worked in birth for probably about seven years or so and then I found myself working in parenting so naturally from birth I began to work with trauma and also working with women that had quite a lot of trauma so you know as I'm sure you're aware, there's a lot of women that do have traumatic experiences. So I found myself working in counselling with women who'd had trauma and then that moved into working with parenting and I, um, I then studied aware parenting and became an aware parenting instructor and then that moved on to working one-on-one with families around all sorts of situations with kids from little bubbers all the way up to teenagers. Uh, so, you know, and, and it was also interesting as my children grew, my work grew in different directions as well. So once I stopped having babies and breastfeeding and all that kind of stuff, I then moved into, all right, how do we raise kids consciously? How do we, you know, bring kids into the world so they don't have to end up in therapy as adults right how do we how can we do that in a way that's you know around connection and love and all that kind of beautiful stuff so I threw myself into learning as much as I could around parenting attachment trauma all that kind of stuff um, and then from all my aware parenting work, I then somehow ended up then working with teenagers on sexuality, which again was kind of really f- fueled from my own family. So I remember when my son was about 12, 13 and starting, you know, going through puberty and all of a sudden I had this freak out of like, wow, how do I educate him to become, you know, a really positive young man around boundaries and consent and sexuality and all those kind of things. So again, I kind of threw myself into all the research and everything I could find on this topic. And then by pure accident, uh, one of my son's teachers, teachers asked if I could go into a birth class at their school for the teenagers and I was like yeah yeah and I went along and talked to all the kids about positive birth and breastfeeding and all that kind of good stuff and then at the end of the session I said to them you know are you talking to these kids about pornography and he's like oh no and I'm like oh you need to be and all of a sudden he's like well can you come and talk to them and I'm like okay and then I just started creating programs on what I call pleasure-based sex education which is about empowering teenagers to understand their bodies have healthy sexual relationships And I guess the way I look at it is all the information that I think we wished we had been told when we were teenagers, but nobody ever did. So my work has kind of spanned with the growth of my children. So my kids are now um, 19, 16 and 11. And and really, I guess, as they've grown and I've I've really wanted to raise them with as much awareness as possible, it's kind of fueled my work, really. So not only are you a mama on a mission, but you're a mama of many talents. (laughs) (laughs) 
know, when I teach the teenagers, I'm like, all right, so um, I'm going to teach you guys about contraception and about, you know, good safe sex practices so that you don't have to come to one of my birth classes soon if you don't want to. So, you know, I kind of cover the whole spectrum from, from the teenage years. It goes full circle, I think, you know, all, all of the work. And it's fascinating, actually, because everything that I talk about always comes back to me to the same thing. It comes back to connection. It comes back to listening to our bodies. It comes back to open communication. You know, all the stuff I'm talking about has a really similar theme that runs through it. And, you know, for me, my my work or what fuels me is really just to create more harmonious relationships in families and to create a beautiful, deep, connected relationship with yourself. So, you know, my work kind of covers all those aspects and I think it's all comes back to it. I have to tell a cute little story. The other day, um, my 11-year-old was in the car with her friends and one of her friends was like whispering to her, what does your mum do for a job? And my 11-year-old says, oh, she works for the kids. And I was like, oh, that's the best title. <laughs> she works for the kids. And that's what I feel like I do. You know, part of all my work is really about creating gentle births for babies and it's around, you know, creating beautiful, safe environments for toddlers. And then it's, you know, all the way up into teenagers. So I feel like that is kind of my mission is working for the kids to give them the voice that sometimes they don't have, you know, so parents can, you know, parent them in the way that I think they deeply desire. Love how your daughter described it. That's perfect. And Mm. so I'd love to jump into now, let's talk a bit more specifically about your different, you know, areas of work. And I'd love to talk first about, about birth. So there's a lot of fear around birth as you're talking about. And so what are some of the ways that we can create a positive birth experience? For me, I think it comes down to three main factors. And for me, they are what I call safety, support and knowledge. So when we're talking about safety, one of the most important things for women when they're birthing is to feel safe in their environment. So we have to remember that we're mammals and all mammals, they, when it comes to birthing, their intuitive sense is I need to find somewhere safe where I'm not going to be under any threat so that I can actually birth my baby because it's such a delicate interwoven hormonal cascade that happens when it comes to birth. And in order for our bodies to work well, we have to be safe environment so for me safety is about making sure you choose the right caregivers and the right place of birth that are going to support you in the birth that you want and that's where again I often encourage women to do a bit of research to find out okay what is it that I want for birth and who could best support me to achieve that you know so we know even statistically if you're wanting a natural water birth and going to a private hospital or particularly here in Melbourne is not necessarily what you're going to get right because we just don't really do water births in, in Melbourne private hospitals and our intervention rates are far higher in our private system so if you're wanting to have an elective cesarean then maybe a private hospital is a really good choice because they have you know great aftercare we can go to the hotel and and you know often they have you know they can support you more in, in choosing that if you want to so it really is about making sure you choose uh, choose caregivers and environments that are going to make you feel safe so that you can relax open up and have your baby in the way that you want to so firstly for me it's support i uh, sorry safety uh the second thing is support and that's really about making sure that you've got people with you who are going to support you in the way that you want to give birth so i often joke in my workshops a lot of pressure on men or partners to be the main support person these days. And the reality is for most men, well, nearly all men, they've never given birth. Uh, they're usually not medically trained. And, you know, they're thirdly completely connected into you having this baby. So it's very hard for them often to be objective. We also know that it's very tricky for partners to see women working hard in labour, you know, especially if they're interpreting what's happening as a lot of pain. It can be very, very challenging for a partner to sit there and hold the space for that. So for me, I often really encourage couples to get support that will, again, help you feel safe in labouring. So sometimes that's in 
independent midwife, that may be a doula, somebody that can support both of you uh, in what you're wanting. You know, sometimes women, well, look, I've worked with thousands of couples over 16 years of birth, you know, and I've seen all scenarios of like, oh, I'm going to bring my mum with me, you know, and I go, okay, well, how's your mum feel? That birth, and you're like, oh, she's terrified. And I'm like, okay, so that terrified energy might not be the thing that you want in the birth room when you're trying to work with your body and create this feeling of safety, you know, or, or I often joke, even with my first birth, I had my best friend come with me. My best friend didn't even know what a uterus was. She didn't had a baby. Like we were like high school mates, right? So she was gorgeous, but she was of no help whatsoever. So it really is important to make sure that you choose the right support. So again, that you can, you know, have your best chance of achieving what you want as far as your birth. And then the third thing that I really encourage in helping to create positive birth is knowledge. And that is educating yourself around your body, around our birthing system, around understanding how extraordinary women's bodies are and what they are made to do. You know, I often say to women, your body knows how to grow this baby. It does know how to birth this baby, but sometimes what gets in the way is our system and sometimes what gets in the way is what goes on in our heads. So the more we can do with our fears, doing good education makes a huge, huge difference so that if we can understand how our bodies are designed to work and our partners do as well, then we can support the natural functions in the body to hopefully have a, a smoother process in birth. And look, I've found that in my experience, when couples kind of, you know, choose a good caregiver, have the right support and have done the education, even if their birth takes a detour, usually they feel really positive around where their births unfolded to because they understand what's happening. It doesn't necessarily become a drama or a shock to the system. They're educated and making choices that feel empowering to them. So for me, it definitely comes back to those three factors of, of making sure that you are researched and that you are choosing things that are going to support what you want and again i absolutely believe there's no right or wrong in birth i think all birth can be beautiful you know i have had my first birth was an induction with the works you know pethidine gas epidural vacuum extraction my second birth was a water birth at home and my third birth ended up being a cesarean because my tricky baby was an undiagnosed breach but you know only discovered in labor <laughs> so i've had all the births you can have and there's no judgment for me i just think you know we, we all have the potential to make birth beautiful but that comes back to the energy we bring to the space and also the information and understanding so you were saying before, with your first experience, you had quite a traumatic first birth. I know for me, that was the same. My births were, well, I found them both quite traumatic. And so for the women who have experienced this, what are some of the strategies that they can use to recover? Look, birth trauma, firstly, I'd like to say is it's a very real thing and it's not something that's really acknowledged in our society. And I really do feel that we need to bring more awareness to it because there are a lot of women who do have birth trauma out there who are just kind of suffering in silence, I think, because the belief system is, you know, well, you've got a baby and it's healthy, so you're lucky, right? It doesn't matter how it came out. But it actually does matter a lot because, you know, for a lot of women, it's a huge experience and they can feel often very powerless. Um, you know, you can feel traumatised by what has happened to you or you can just feel a lot of grief around not achieving the birth that you desired. And there's nothing wrong with feeling like that at all. So for me, the first steps is always it's about talking about it. I think go and do some proper birth debriefing. There's some amazing people in Melbourne who do birth debriefing who can really hold that space for you to grieve, talk about and understand what happens. And again, I think because a lot of women don't have good birth education, they come out the other side with that what just happened to me, which was what with me is my first birth. I had no idea about how the system worked. I had no idea about this cascade of interventions. So in my mind, I must have done it wrong on some level, whereas actually was just kind of a bit of a product of the system. So I think going to someone who really understands birth 
birth can make a big difference in making sense of what happens in, in your mind firstly. So I often look at birth trauma in two ways. I think our head needs to make sense of the experience. So sometimes talk therapy can be really good. But I also think some, like somatic um, therapy, so body, sometimes a body therapy can be really good as well. So or trauma, when trauma happens, it stays in our bodies. You know, what trauma is, is not so much the event that happens, it's our experience of the event. So often we move into a fight or flight experience and we don't then get to offload that build, uh, big buildup of adrenaline and stress in our system um, and it just kind of stays stuck. And so therefore then it can often manifest in anxiety or panic attacks or, um, you know, depression, all those kind of things that it can manifest as in the mothering years. So I really do believe, and I've seen this over all the years in my work, that we somehow need to support the body to move it as well. And that can sometimes, that's simple things like osteopathy. Uh, it could be going to someone who's a somatic therapist who just basically helps your body release those stresses and traumas. Sometimes it's crying, and, you know, with somebody who's really supportive and loving so you can release those stresses, you know, because tears are very, very healing. So I, I always look at it, we need to do on two levels. We need to work with, you know, what's your mind and we also need to work with your body. And the third thing that I find really important too in, in helping kind of navigate birth trauma is also navigating the story with your baby. And, you know, I'm a big believer of um, helping babies, you know, move stress and trauma in their bodies as well. And sometimes that can be as simple as telling your baby its birth story. So just really slowly and gently holding your baby and telling them about how they were born, letting yourself cry as you tell that story, letting the baby cry in your arms, like holding them with love, because that's often a stress response they can have as well. I've had many clients I've supported when they've held their babies and they've told, told the baby the birth story, the baby will start crying. And you can almost see this incredible connection of release between the mum and the baby as they both shed those tears around what can what has happened. So that can be a really beautiful experience to do. Or even something like a reclaiming experience where, you know, if you didn't get to have the birth that you wanted, you know, creating a beautiful environment with a bath and candles and flowers and stuff like that. And, and you know, getting skin to skin with your baby and, and just allowing the grief to be there about what perhaps you didn't get and then reclaiming it in a new way, you know, in a way that you wish it had, had a, could have been. So I think there's quite a few things that we can do to help ourselves heal from birth trauma. I also think it takes time. And I think that we need to be super, super gentle with ourselves if we've had a traumatic experience and know that we, you know, there's a great saying, I use it in all my work, we move as fast as the slowest part of us, which means for some women, that's going to take a few years to make sense of what happened at their birth and find their healing. For others, you know, they will be able to move through it quicker, but without doubt, being super gentle and compassionate to ourselves for the journey that we've had. Oh, those are great strategies. Thank you so much for sharing those. I really love the one about how you're saying like reclaim it and you know, creating the experience that you really wanted to have. Mm, it's powerful. And I think, again, because we don't really give birth trauma much airtime um, mm. in our society, we're just kind of told to get on with it. But it's yeah. very hard to get on with it when we've had this big experience. And I, I, many of the women I've worked with, you know, for them, the trauma can be as big as witnessing someone being murdered or, or a sexual assault or something. You know, we, again, our body doesn't read whether that was a big trauma or a small trauma. It just reads it as trauma. And so we need to give it the space and healing that it needs to allow ourselves to come back into balance. Yeah. And do you work with a lot of medical professionals, like in hospitals? I guess like it, it feels almost like there's this gap that, you know, once the, the birth's done, you sort of, you put in the different area of the hospital and then it's all about just checking all your vitals, checking the baby, constantly checking, checking, checking. But no one asks you like, how did it go? How are you? Like there is no debrief afterwards and you're sort of in shock. 
Yes. And I look, if I could change the system, I would make that every woman gets a proper birth debrief, you know, and ideally with her care providers who sit there and listen and be accountable as well to what happened so that the woman gets to complete the story because, and partners as well, like, you know, God is, even if mums don't get to talk, then partners get even further left behind. And I've worked with a lot of partners who have birth trauma. I do have quite a few obstetricians who refer women to me. It's usually because they're pregnant second or third time around and there's a lot of fear. So the obstetricians will send them to me and we'll work through what happened in those birth stories to prepare them for the next birth so I do do a lot of that work from quite a few obstetricians who really do get the benefit of being able to work with that trauma or move it so that they can have a different experience next time around. I'd love to take a minute to tell you about my podcast partner Bliss Early Learning who are a premium provider in the childcare and preschool space. Bliss Early Learning are a family-owned Australian company. You'll find them around Melbourne in four great locations, Cranbourne, Sandringham, Williams Landing and Wyndham Vale. When you take a tour with them, you'll notice that they provide innovative spaces to encourage little ones to grow and learn in a safe and fun environment. You'll be happy to hear that unlike many other providers at Bliss Early Learning, you won't need to fork out extra money for additional activities. They include them for free. Activities such as language classes, yoga, music, learn to read classes, school readiness programs and more. And one last feature that makes Bliss Early Learning stand out from the other providers is that they offer public holidays for free. In Melbourne, that's up to 10 free days per year. Incredible. To find out more and to book a tour at your nearest Bliss Early Learning Centre, visit bliss.edu.au or call 1300 717 you also do workshops. You were talking about that before that you've moved into, you know, parenting and sexuality. One of the important topics that you discuss is about how to talk about sex with kids. So why do you believe it's important for parents to be prepared, you know, for the sex talk? And what would you love parents to know about discussing sex with their children? Yes. Now, I I always say when anybody I'm interviewing with and they bring up this topic, they're like, but why? Why would I need to talk to my five-year-old? And I really want to clarify, you know, in, in I guess in the way most of us were brought up, we might have had that awkward talk when we were like 11 or 12 with our parents that was really painful about maybe about puberty, about sex, and it was this one talk or it was a class in year nine that involved a banana and a condom and everybody was giggling and, you know, like it just, we didn't get the full comprehensive sex education, I think, what we needed. And look, a lot of the reasons why we talk about sex education is important is that it is an ongoing conversation. The first thing that we really want to create with our kids is a freedom to talk and ask questions about anything they're curious about in the absence of talking about sex education and I'm talking about age appropriate conversations so we're not talking to five-year-olds about orgasms right Um, and I'll go through what we would talk to them about but what we want to do is we want to normalize this topic so that it is one that kids then feel comfortable they can come to you and say hey mum, I've heard this thing what is that about right because in the absence of talking about it we whether we like it or not we often create a shame-based story around sexuality and that's something that we don't want to create for our kids we want them to be able to be 15 and 16 year olds coming to us saying you know I'd like to maybe get some contraception or this is how I feel about my boyfriend or and they're coming to you for advice and they're coming to you in wanting to be safe and aware of of moving into this next phase of their lives so we talk about many ongoing conversations and it starts when our kids are little and and so sex education often people think it is really just about the act of sex but it's not it's about sexuality it's about body image it's about um, 
boundaries and consent. It's about body autonomy. It's so many different subjects. So with little kids really under about the age of five or six, you know, what sex education consists of is just knowing the correct names for our anatomy, you know, so making sure that we, you know, we can use nicknames, but making sure children know the correct names for their anatomy. It's also making sure that children know that nobody is allowed to touch their bodies. Nobody's allowed to ask to take pictures of their bodies. It's about body safety and autonomy. And this is an uncomfortable subject, but one that is so very important because sexual abuse does happen in our culture and it often does happen with people that are known to the child. So if we can talk from a young age around, nobody's allowed to touch your private parts and no, and you're not allowed, and nobody's allowed to ask you to look at their private parts. And if they do, we say no. And then you come and tell me and you never, you know, get in trouble for telling me. And we want to educate our kids from a young age to um, be aware that they have, you know, autonomy over their bodies. You know, another thing we talk to young kids about is about not making them kiss or hug um, people hello or goodbye, giving them the choice to do that. You know, often when we say, you know, you must go and give Auntie Jean a kiss, but, you know, Auntie Jean smells like cigarettes and she's got a moustache, right? And the five-year-old's like, I don't want to kiss Auntie Jean, right? Again, we're kind of overriding their body autonomy there. So we want to give them choice. You know, you can go and give Auntie Jean a high five or just wave goodbye, or give her a fist pump, or you can give her a hug if you want, right? But knowing that they have control over their bodies is a really important thing as well. So really with young age kids, it's just, it's a lot of it's about safety. It's about safety and about just practicing having these conversations so that children can then come to you and ask you questions because they know it's a topic we can talk about. So then really from that next kind of six to nine-year-old age group is often when kids are curious about how did a baby get in there and, um, you know, about gender and those kind of things. And again, we can open up conversations around puberty and around how our bodies work and, and to really reassure parents. And, and please hear me clearly on this. Before kids hit puberty, when we talk about sex, the way they take it in is it's all biology. It's just about how bodies work. It's exactly the same as when kids ask why do we fart or what happens when I eat and poo, right? So sex is, well, there's a penis and a vagina, um, you know, a vulva and they go together and there's sperm that comes out and you just talk about it factually and they go, oh, okay, there's nothing about sexiness or, you know, intimacy, all that kind of stuff about it. It's just biology. So, so I guess, you know, from six to nine, we're just talking more about changes in bodies and those kind of things. And then from kind of 10, 12 up, we'd be talking more around what sex is about, relationships, healthy relationships. And again, one of the reasons we need to have these conversations these days is because our biggest sex educator is pornography. And as much as, you know, we think, okay, I'm never going to let my kids see this. It's not a matter of if your kids see it, it's a matter of when, unfortunately. And the average age of exposure to pornography is 10 years of age which is alarming but and it, and you could have all the filters that you want on your phones and computers and all that kind of stuff but sometimes it's at other people's houses and again we need to educate our young people to, to let them know that you know there's sometimes pictures and videos on the internet that aren't for kids to see and they can feel very upsetting when we see them can feel very confusing and so if you do see them I want you to come and tell me you will never be in trouble and the important thing is because this is the number one reason why kids don't tell is you can say to them and you will still be able to use the iPad <laughs> after if you tell me because often kids don't come and say anything because they're worried they're not going to be able to use the iPad. So again, we're living in a culture that's highly sexualized and we need to counterbalance what's out there for, for children and the information they're getting. And all the research says the same thing, that the biggest influence on sex and sexuality is parents. And the, the other bit of juicy research that parents always love to hear is that the, the data says that if we start talking to our children about sex from a younger age, then they are more likely to delay their first sexual experience, to use contraception and have a positive experience. So as much as the fears can be, I don't want 
want to talk to my kids about sex that might make them do it. It's actually completely unfounded, you know, because again, it, it is all about just information and knowledge and kids are really clever. Like if they don't want to hear about it, they're not going to listen. We know that with everyday parenting. <laughs> if they don't want to hear it, they're just going to not listen. So my last little tip around this sexuality bit is it can be a big, scary topic for parents to navigate. And so there are amazing resources out there. Um, my colleague has a brilliant website called sexedrescue.com. Go and check out Kath's website. You can sign up to all her free stuff and she has the best resources of books on, on her website that you can use to talk to your kids. So if you don't know how to approach this subject, go and buy some of the books off Kath's website. She's got age appropriate books, topics, conversations. It's brilliant. And that will um, be your guide. So you can get some books, read them with your kids and that opens up the conversations naturally because it's a conversation that we want to have many times over a period of time so that it becomes normalized. And this is what we know creates much safer, healthier sexual relationships for our kids when they hit those teenage years. That's so good. I was going to ask you, did you have resources to recommend? But that's fantastic because I don't know about you, but I remember like back when I was young, like my parents just didn't talk about those things. Like it wasn't spoken about in my house. It was a very, you know, I got my period and mom was like, you know, if you had sex right now, you could get pregnant. And that was it. And I was like, I was 11. I I didn't even know what, like you said, I didn't even know what sex was, but I was scared. I was like, I don't want that to happen. So (laughs) not talking about it is also not good because you do, you go and find that information out, especially when you're young. You're so curious. Yeah, you find it out from friends and at their houses. Yeah, it's your peers that are educating you. And and look, you know, two 12-year-olds talking about sex really do not know anything, right? So the information we get can be really screwy. And then it also, we can put ourselves in dangerous situations. And, you know, one of my big motivations of um, teaching sex ed in high schools is to really give, you know, young people the right, correct information so they can go and have safe sexual experiences. And it's not just about don't get pregnant and, you know, don't get an STI. It's about understanding our bodies. It's about how do we say no when we're in a situation that we don't feel good with? How does our body like pleasure? Like nobody talked to me as a teenager about pleasure. Like, are you kidding me? And, you know, I think for most people, um, parents I've spoken to, you know, you then spend the next 15 years of really awkward sex trying to figure out what feels good or what, <laughs> how it works, right? Yeah. And, and again, we want to, you know, for me, my, my main work is opening up conversations with teenagers to go, okay, here's how the mechanics work. Here's the, the proper understanding about anatomy. These are how hormones work. So for often I say to the young girls, you know, in order to feel good having sex, because a lot of their anonymous questions are, you know, why does sex hurt or how do I have an orgasm? I talk about, okay, we have to feel safe. We're mammals. It's the same kind of thing as birth, right? Our bodies need to feel relaxed and open so that we can allow this blood flow to happen and, and for our... Um, you know, that natural endorphin state. So all the same kind of stuff, you know, applies to sex as it does to birth. But it's about, you know, giving these kids, not kids, but teenagers information so that, again, they can do more inquiry if they want, but then they've got a bit of a foundation there, particularly around the consent piece, which is huge these days. And, you know, that's a a big topic that I talk to teens about. And that and pornography is huge because it's a huge, huge issue. Pornography is a massive problem in our teenage um, demographic at the moment. So when we can give them accurate information about it and talk to them about how it can be damaging for our brains and our bodies and to be discerning around it and see what it is and what it isn't. You know, these are all really important conversations that can you know, in, empower kids, really. And I love that. And I love how you said also that it is about talking about the positive side too and, you know, about pleasure and things like that because you do, you kind of grow up and it's almost this scary thing because everyone's just talking to you about how not to get pregnant <laughs> and then you sort of freak out when you're older. But no, I love that. Thank you for sharing those tips. They're so great. And I have a little curious five-year-old who is 
started to ask questions and I just wasn't sure like how far do I go into explaining things yeah. with him but I'm going to check out that site because see if there's any age-appropriate books for him absolutely yeah it will hold it will hold your hand through all of it that's what's beautiful go to that website it's like my number one resource for parents Cass has done a great job on it it will basically talk you through how to navigate this and what conversations you'd be having at what time and and how yeah. Kath even has a great book called the sex education um, resource book and it's basically like the sex education bible I call it so if you have a five-year-old and your five-year-old asking you about you know what's a condom and you're like oh my god how do I answer this you've got a five-year-old part and you go to and she tells you the exact phrases and words you can use it's brilliant it holds your hand it's amazing oh, I love that I love that I'm gonna have a look so you've also created a curriculum program for teenage girls and it's called the connection program mm-hmm. can you tell us more about that and why you created it yeah, so that that was really just what I came from starting to work in schools, really wanting to give them more comprehensive education that covers everything from body image to self-worth, self-esteem, um, really tapping on those things around consent and how do we ask for what we need? How do we also, you know, say no? Because that's a huge issue that I see, particularly with girls. So the Connection Program then kind of morphed into with boys as well. So even though I really, um, I really feel like it should be a male teaching boys, young Um, I just haven't found anyone that's really doing it that yet. So I I do work with both sexes at the moment, but I often teach them separately. And the whole idea really is, again, to give the kids an opportunity to ask all those questions that they don't feel like they can ask either their parents or their teachers. So, you know, we, you know, I really work on building rapport with these kids to say nothing is off the table. There's nothing you can ask me that's going to shock me. There's nothing you can ask me that's, you know, I'm going to go, you can't say that. So we have lots of anonymous questions and we talk about all the things that they really, really want to know, but they just perhaps don't feel like they have an adult in their life that can talk to them about it. I kind of come across as the cool auntie in element of, you know, I mean, look, I, I remember this really clearly. I last year, I'm, I had to teach a 70, there were 70, 17 and 18 year old boys, right? Which is a tough crowd, you know, for like a middle-aged woman going in and talking to them about sex. I thought, oh, these boys are so going to like not be receptive. And, and my son was the same age at the time. And I said to him, you know what, Kai, I'm going to go and talk to these boys about this. Is there anything else I should talk about? And he looks at me with this look on his face, like, you know, mum, you know, we already know everything. And I thought, oh, here we go. This is it. This is what I'm walking into a group of boys that think they know everything. So I walked into the class and I was like, all right, here, I'm here to do some sex ed with you. You know, who thinks they know everything? Put your hand up. And nearly all the boys put their hand up like I know everything. And I was like, okay, great. I'm glad you think you know everything. I mean, I'm still learning and I've been studying this for a long time. And then I said, all right, well, if you think you know everything, then my next question for you is who here would like to be a good lover? And they're all like, oh, yeah, I, I want to be a good lover. And they all put their hands up and I was like, all right, let me show you some stuff about the beautiful female body. And I had this great like vulva puppet and this giant clitoris thing and all this. Stuff. And they were like captive audience for an hour asking <laughs> questions. It was amazing. I mean, we talk about same sex relation, everything, right? And at the end, I had to laugh. There were these three male teachers who came up to me and just went, oh, my God, I have just learned so much in that last hour. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I hope your partners are going to be happy. (laughs) So for me, what I think about is that everybody's curious about sex and we all have questions and, you know, I think it's something that we... um, we need to bring a bit of lightness to, but I also think it's something that's a really important thing as a human. And, and, you know, my goal is always to help teenagers have really excellent relationships with themselves and other people. And so this is a big part of, um, of it, I think. And that's why I feel really passionate about this topic and about sharing it with, with people and not just kids, because I think too, you know, we can do some sex education schools, but we need the parents to back it up as well. And so the more open we are about having conversations around this, the easier it is for kids to ask for help or to, you know, ask questions when they need. And is this something, do you go in sort of as a one-off workshop or do they have you come in on a regular basis? 
So I usually do like a few sessions in school over a month. So some schools I work with, I go through all year levels. So they're really about let's do comprehensive education because, you know, my thing is they need to hear it quite a few times. You know, they hear it in year seven in a certain way, then they're going to hear it in year nine in a different way because, you know, they've they've grown up and things might have shifted. So um, some schools I work, you know, just do one-off things. Some I do like a series of um, talks. So, yeah, it varies depending on what the school wants. And with all your experience, it's no surprise that you also have a podcast. (laughs) So that's called Aware Parenting. Yeah. And you work with families face-to-face as well in this area. Do you want to explain what is Aware Parenting? Like what's the philosophy behind it? So um, our podcast podcast is called the Aware Parenting Podcast. It's with one of my colleagues, Marion Rose. And um, Aware Parenting is, a, I guess, a style of parenting that was created by a woman called Dr. Alita Salter, maybe about 20, 30 years ago now. And it really is based on democratic connected parenting so it's about not using punitive discipline you know so grounding kids or taking stuff away or bribes and rewards it's about I guess communication it's about um, democratic parenting in the sense of understanding that children have feelings and they have a right to express themselves as well Uh, it really is about also listening to feelings and so you know one of the major ways that I often talk about it is that you know when we kids are little particularly when they're toddlers you know we have big tantrums and big meltdowns and a lot of people are like I don't know what to do with it do I send them away or do I try and shut it down? And it's understanding things like, you know, we as humans, we all carry feelings in our bodies. We reach a point where for all of us, our nervous system hits overload and then all of a sudden we have to let that out. So for little toddlers, that comes out in the ways of big tantrums because you gave them the blue cup instead of the green cup. You know, if a little person's been at kinder all day and they've had to hold it together all day because there's lots of kids and they haven't been with mummy and someone knocked over their tower and by the time they get home and see you and they ask for a cookie and you only give them, you know, a broken cookie, then they completely lose it about the broken cookie you know and it's not about the cookie it's about this build up of feelings that have accumulated through the day so the way where parenting works with that is about holding a space for our kids to release those big feelings so it's about acknowledging oh sweetie I can see you're really upset about the cookie let it out you know I'm with you I hear you let it out and what happens is our natural healing mechanism in our body is that when we are able to release our feelings or build up of them we come back into balance and we reach what we call that homeostasis point where we go Oh, I feel better. It's exactly the same for us as humans when we've had a really hard day. Humans as adults, we're all humans. Uh, it's the same for us as adults when we've been at work and you know someone cut us off on the way to work, and then our boss had to have a chat with us and we felt bad, and then someone sent us a crap email, and you know by the time we get home, we've often got this build-up of feelings, and we ring our partner and say, you know, can you get milk on the way home? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you know you get home and you do the hustle with the kids, and your partner walks in the door and you're like, where's the milk? And they're like, oh, I forgot. And then you completely lose it because they forgot the milk, right? And we know it's not about the milk. It's about everything that's happened throughout the day. Like we as adults do it all the time. And yet we expect our little people to not do that. We expect them to have better often emotional regulation than us. So the way that aware parenting looks at it is that you know, we all have feelings and emotions that we need to express. And we do that through crying. Sometimes we do that through raging. We can also do that through laughing. And aware parenting is about being able to hold that space for our kids to offload their big feelings, to allow them to come back into balance. So for me, I discovered aware parenting um, when uh, my oldest was about eight and my middle child was about four or five. And my third baby had come along and we'd had a bit of a rough birth experience. And I could tell that she'd had a bit of trauma in her body. And I was looking for a way to help her offload all these feelings and stories. So 
that, you know, she didn't have to carry them forward. And um, it's when I discovered Aletha Salter's work. And then I really began to look at my mothering with my big kids thinking, man, when they get upset, I just kind of shut them down or I try and distract them from their feelings. And what that often meant is that they never felt really happy and content. They whinged a lot. And there was always just this feeling of like tension in our house because I'd be like, oh my God, my kid's going to lose it and I've got to try and keep them happy. And then I really discovered where parenting and really um, saw what was needed is that they needed a really calm, connected mama that when they did have some feelings going on that I could take a deep breath and I could just hold that space for them, trusting that whatever was going on for them would pass. And it did. And it absolutely changed my life because I began to see that, you know, my kids were either what I would call imbalance or out of balance. So when they were in balance, you know, they were, you know, singing in their room, they were happily playing with their Lego, you know, they would pat the dog really gently. And I'd be like, yeah, look, I'm an awesome mom. Look how good my kids are. <laughs> and then when they were out of balance, they'd walk past their sister and elbow them in the head or pull the dog's tail or, you know, just ignore me. And I'd be like, mm, okay, something's going on there. And what I began to see is that when my kids were out of balance, it was usually because they had a build up of feelings or they had a need that wasn't being met. And my job was to provide that connection to help them offload all those feelings so they could come back into balance. And once they did kind of offload it, they felt so much better. So aware parenting talks about you know, dealing with emotions and feelings. It also talks about using play to create cooperation. It really is about connection. And, and I find in my workshops, you know, that when I talk about aware parenting or what is possible, it's the way I think most parents would want to parent. You know, I don't think any parent feels good yelling and screaming at their kids, but often we do because we don't know how else to handle it. Sometimes it's the way that we were brought up that triggers us into our own stuff. And sometimes as parents, we just feel really stressed and it's our nervous system responding to our kids. So another component of aware parenting Parenting is absolutely looking at all our own triggers and our own stuff that comes up because as everybody who has a child would know, parenting is so full on. <laughs> it can be really hard and our kids just know the exact right buttons to push. And before we know it, we're screaming at them, you know, and we feel like our mother's coming out of our, our mouth, you know, in a way that we swear we would never do. Or we start behaving in a way we're trying to power over our kids in a way that doesn't feel good. And that's usually because it's tapping us into some of our own stories. And it's usually because it's, you know, we've reached a stress point as well. So where parenting is about how do we help mum and dad feel as connected and anchored as possible um, so that they can turn up for their kids and be as calm and centered as possible so that our kids can, you know, work through their stories. Because our little people, you know, those first kind of seven, eight years are all about learning emotional regulation. They're learning about how to express themselves and we model that for them. I love to tell this little story, which I'll tell you, which I think really to me made me realize how powerful where parenting was, is that, um, you know, I'd been listening to my kids' feelings for a while and, and one night I had to go and teach a birth class and my five-year-old, I could see she was really agitated and, you know, she had some feelings and I, I even kind of turned around to her and said, oh, honey, do you think you could just hold on to those feelings for a bit because I've got to go to work, right? Like, what, I don't know what I was thinking that that would work. She looks at me like, are you crazy? Uh, and I'm like, I could see that she really just needed some listening and, and I just didn't have space. And at that time, my nine-year-old, nearly 10-year-old walked into the room and said to me, mommy, I'll, I'll listen to Tali's feelings. And I was like, what? And so my 10-year-old took the, the five-year-old into the bedroom and I'm thinking, oh, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to see what happens here. And I was listening at the door and what I heard was my 10-year-old going, tell me all about it, Tali. And so Tali starts crying and she starts talking about all the things that were hard at kinder. And I'm hearing my 10-year-old go, oh, I hear you. That sounds really hard. You're doing a good job. Let it out. And so they're doing this beautiful like listening. She's having a big release. And then they kind of move into giggling and laughing. And I'm just standing there going, whoa, this is amazing. And then they come out of the room and I say to my 10-year-old, I go, darling, how was that? 
for you? And she just looked at me and she goes, well, mummy, I just did to her what you do to me. And I just thought, oh, my God, in that moment I really got it. I was like, ah, oh, this is about teaching empathy. This is about teaching connection. And they learn it when they feel it from us. So, you know, for me it just – and I've had so many examples of that in raising my kids this way to see – that we want our children to be empathetic, connected little beings and they become that way when we are that way for them. So aware parenting speaks to this beautifully, really, and it just really takes it, I think, to another level of, of just consciousness in parenting, which I think is what we all deeply want. But um, sometimes we just don't know the way to get there. That's an incredible moment that you witnessed between your daughters and how amazing. Like you would have just been standing there, your heart would have been so full and be like, oh, I've done something right. Mm, I I, I high-fived myself. (laughs) Yeah, you should. You should. How beautiful. And let me just say there's been many, many crap moments. (laughs) Of course, of course. It's not all perfect. No, but but that's great. That's fantastic. And that sounds really good. And, um, you know, if people are really loving what you're saying and, they want to learn more about it obviously they can listen to your podcast or they yeah, can yeah. come along to one of your workshops and then yes, they can yes. you know learn all those strategies as well and now we're going to talk about something else that you're doing this is what i mean you are you're a mama of many talents uh you've also you're building a primary school like you're so fascinating you're yes. just the most fascinating person i've ever met and so i just want you to tell me all about it and why did you just decide mm. to you know, build a primary school and what's the philosophy behind it? Because it won't be, you know, any ordinary primary school I can imagine. Yes. Well, okay. So our beautiful school, which is called Woodline Primary School. Um, look, it came about not because it was something I was looking for. It's something that found me. Um, I'd been working for quite a few years with a client of mine. You know, she has six children. So we had a lot of kids that we were working through just the emotional stories and patterns and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, one of her kids was studying school and she just felt really discouraged with, I guess, how the school was holding him emotionally and, and how he was coping. And, you know, we'd worked a lot with Aware Parenting for a long time. And she just said to me, gosh, I wish there was a school that um, was like Aware Parenting that, you know, brought all those beautiful philosophies we talk about into the classroom. And I said, yeah, look, I, I agree. I, I wish there was something like that. I just don't know where that exists. And um, she said, well, we could build one. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course, like laughing, going, I know nothing about building a school. And she said, we could. And I was like, we both just joked about it for a while. And then it just sat with us and we were like, mm, well, maybe we could. So we did a whole lot of research around what it is to build a school, which let me tell you, there's a reason why not many people build schools. It's because it's really hard and there's, there's a whole lot that needs to do. But, um, you know, she had the funding to do it. And she said to me, look, it could be your school. We'll build it with all the things that you believe and, and the work that you do. Um, so we did a lot of research for, for a good six months, went and visited lots of different schools. We we um we engaged some consultants who built schools before, like really to find out, okay, what do we need to do to do it? So she has a beautiful property and the school is just out of Geelong in a place called Ceres. It's a beautiful farm. It's set on about 15 acres. Um, and the whole philosophy of the school is about, I guess the foundation is that children need to feel safe in order to learn. So through all my work with trauma, um, work with parenting work, you know, I know this about kids that when they have got trauma on board or they don't feel safe, they don't learn. Their brains don't take information in because they're too busy just trying to figure out how to cope or survive so we worked with well what would it be like if all children felt emotionally safe which means that we don't use punishments we don't use rewards we see the whole child you know the whole philosophy of the school is about allowing or helping children to be the best version of themselves which doesn't mean you know that we don't have boundaries and we don't have limits we absolutely have all of that but it's about 
um, I guess, allowing the full expression of the child to be seen. So, um, and the way that we've structured our whole curriculum, so it's based on the Australian curriculum, but we have these amazing consultants who've created our curriculum uniquely for us. It's all play-based learning. So it's all about using play and the environment to learn. So instead of just sitting in a classroom learning off a board, it's about taking all these beautiful elements of integrated learning um, into, into the child's world and also about what excites you, what, what excites you, what do you want to know about, then how do we learn about it? So the beauty of um, having the school on a farm, we have horses and chooks and we have the most amazing um, veggie patches and gardens and we're able to do as much learning outside as we are inside. So it's kind of bringing it back to that philosophy for kids that to keep them kind of a bit connected to nature and the earth, you know, technology is a huge thing and I'm a big fan of technology and innovation, but I kind of feel like we need to hold it off as long as we can to give kids that kind of foundation as much as possible. I mean, look, all five-year-olds need know how to use an iPad, right? We don't need to, I don't believe we need to teach them that in prep. So we're like, let's keep it back to the basics until we get into the older years where we can use, you know, more technology if we need to. So I guess our whole philosophy of the school is, you know, we have small class sizes, all our teaches um, trauma and aware parenting informed and it doesn't mean you have to have trauma to go to school it just is about realizing that you know children's behavior is always telling us something and when a child is acting out or they're having a hard time it's because there's something going on for them and how do we work with that in a not in a punitive way how do we work with that in a way to help the child offload whatever's going on so that then they can come back to them best their best selves and learn so we have all these amazing elements in the school of um, we teach Auslan to the kids, so that's part of our language of also, um, you know, teaching kids to read body language, understanding themselves. You know, there's a big component of emotional awareness. You know, we, we see even in all the research that a high EQ as opposed to an IQ is going to be more sought after as our kids grow up into that next generation of working. So we want to educate kids emotionally to be able to be highly functioning in the world and my philosophy is that when kids feel safe they feel seen they feel connected they feel wanted then learning comes naturally it's when those things don't happen that we often can struggle with learning so that's the whole kind of foundation of our school woodline um, we were ideally wanting to open in 2020 but we've had a few hiccups with council and permits so we've had to postpone our opening to 2021 so that's when we're opening um, so if people want more information you can go visit our website which is woodlineprimary.com.au and that just talks all about our school and what we're doing so it feels like a, um, an incredible opportunity. Once it kind of came about, I thought you can't not do a project like this, even though it's been so full on, like I have learned so much and been so pushed out of my comfort zone. Like I just, I'd never written a policy in my life and nor was I now written 75 uh, policies for the school. And, and, you know, look, the governance and setting the school is huge and as it should be because it's a really big thing that you do. Um, and, uh, you know, it takes a lot of commitment and a lot of guts, I think, to do it and, um and, you know, we've had, we've got lots of families on our waiting list and lots of families that are interested, which is beautiful. So we're already building a community that I think are aligned with it. So it feels like a very, very exciting project that's going to, um, to open up. Yes. Yep. Congratulations. That sounds so amazing. And I worked in education previously, so I love everything you were saying. It's like, yeah, you've picked the best of what what's missing in sort of, I guess, the formal and old school, uh, yes. you know, education system and bring it all together. I can imagine there'd be heaps of inquiries for that. So fantastic. Well mm. done. Yeah, thank you. And look, I must say too, look, my kids all went to mainstream yeah. schools and, um, you know, it was a lot of the stuff that I saw in their schooling that I thought, I wish this looked different, you mm -hmm. know, and, and look, my kids are, are too old to attend the school that I'm building, but they're always a bit like, why didn't you build your high school years ago? I'm like, well, wasn't ready then. But um, I, I see that, you know, look, our system is doing the best job it can, but I think it's time for new innovation and I think it's time for an overhaul. And, and there's enough parents that contact me that I know that this is what 
a lot want as well. Yeah, absolutely. And now I'd like to move into, you know, we've been talking a lot about motherhood in general, like, you know, more strategies for other people and things like that. But I want to know more about you as a mum of three. What's been your personal experience of motherhood? So you have all this knowledge and experience and stuff behind you. How does that translate then at home? What have been your challenges and your surprises? Yeah, well, I must say like the first few years of mothering were hard. I think because I was young, I didn't have any friends that had kids. And like everybody, you have no idea what you're doing. So you're kind of making it up as you go. And I think it takes years to kind of figure out what kind of parent you want to be. But I think I had high expectations that I should have all my shit together and, you know, it should be good and it just wasn't (laughs) so it was very very challenging I think the first few years of mothering and you know I love my son and I I did it all but I was pretty disconnected I think from myself and from the whole mothering experience I found it really really challenging I didn't I definitely didn't love it Uh, and then when my second child came along I think I I found there was a bit more ease because I knew what I was doing you know how we kind of need to find our own kind of groove to go yeah this is how it looks Um, so I must say that the first kind of maybe seven or eight years of mothering I did find really challenging you know I I loved my kids but I I didn't feel that there was a great flow with it. And in looking back, what I probably really needed was I needed like a mentor or someone to come in and go, it is hard and you need to ask for help and you need to look after yourself. Cause I was not looking after myself. You know, I had this belief system that if you look after yourself, then, you know, you're selfish, you know? So I had this screwy like sense of that I should be everything to everyone. And all that does is just make you exhausted. <laughs> it just does not work. So I, I think I needed to learn the hard way around, you know, how do I make this feel good? So really, I mean, and I'm really candid about this in my workshops as well. You know, every parent that feels like they've done bad parenting, I, I hear you, I have been there. Like there's all those parts where are the kind of shadow part of mothering, which is really tricky. But I also then realised that you can actually turn it around and, and change it to actually have beautiful harmony in your home and, and enjoy being a mum. So, you know, when my third baby came along and I really had to kind of take a look at all my own belief systems and those imprints I had around mothering that it was like, I actually want this to look different. I want to enjoy my kids. I want there to be flow. You know, it was still important for me to do bits and pieces of work. And and so I guess discovering for me where parenting really is opened up, taking care of myself so I could really turn up and take care of my kids. So I think since I really discovered that for me, for me particularly the last 11 12 years of parenting has felt really wonderful I, I was also really wanting to raise teenagers that didn't slam their doors and say they hated me like I just I, I believed somewhere that it didn't have to be like that I didn't know how it could happen but I thought I believe enough in connection that 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 is possible and um and I have to say raising teenagers has been just so fabulous I love teenagers deeply I think because I work with them and also because I have three of them but I um I've also found that, you know, you have to, in motherhood, do the work. And by do the work, I mean you've got to look at your own crap, right? Because if you don't look at your own crap and your inputs and your stories, you're just going to keep projecting that onto your kids. And then your kids are going to go, hey, I don't want your stuff. And then they throw it back at you. And that's where we see disconnection and we see, you know, that there isn't a lot of flow. So for me, I just find that mothering has been the greatest spiritual teaching (laughs) has been the greatest um, emotional development it has been the greatest learning I just see my kids as the most magnificent teachers um, in my life you know and and with my husband you know I've been with my husband for about 22 years now and you know he was very much up for the okay let's do the journey of, of raising kids with as much awareness as possible and that requires you to have to look at your own imprints and stories and so I found like that has been one of the most powerful gifts I've given myself and my kids is to um is to do what I call do the work 
look at look at your crap. It, it pays off. It's really important. So you know, so for these days, you know, now I have teenagers, you know, and I, I really I work with a lot of parents that have got young kids. I really say to mums all the time, raising little people are really hard yards. They are. It's physically exhausting. It's demanding. It definitely gets easier as they get bigger. You know, different challenges. You know, there's definitely different challenges in the teenage years for sure. Um, but you know, I, I again just so much compassion and empathy to mums when you've got little kids because it's it's sometimes it can be brutal being in the trenches with little people and that's why more than ever you have to look after yourself I mean if again if I could go back to, to me like you know 15 years ago I would scoop me up and say right I'm putting you to bed and two days a week you need to go and do something for you and you have to have some boundaries for yourself and your kid and all that kind of stuff that I probably I guess I really needed someone to show me and guide me you know so that I could be the best version of my of mum that I could be oh, and I, I love the way you speak about teenagers and how positive you are because I think that's something that always you know scares people they're like oh wait till they're teenagers and there's this negative thing that they're just going to be moody and attitudes and and stuff like that so I really love that and oh it'd be great if we could go back to yeah ourselves as first-time mums and really tell ourselves the things that we needed to hear Mm, which is why I think what you're doing Holly is so beautiful right because you're showcasing the journey of mums and the more we can hear about it like I mean I'm, I'm sounding like I'm a grandma now but we didn't have podcasts <laughs> when I was a young mom like I think YouTube was just happening then and I just think um you know what you're doing is really important because I think the more we hear about it the more we give our, ourselves permission to take care of ourselves the more we see other mothers do it we go ah this is actually how we can do it so I think the more we can spread this yeah. word it's the better yeah. oh thank you thank you mm. and now coming back to you <laughs> I would love to finish with a a random fun fact about you okay so my random fun fact is before I worked in birth and parenting and, and sex stuff is I actually used to be a children's entertainer <laughs> I used to dress up as a fairy my name was fairy bubbles um, I had a um, I had an entertainment company called wishlandia and I had all these people who used to work for me and we used to go to kids parties and we used to put on big pantomimes at different places all over Melbourne and you know we recorded CDs and this was kind of just before the wiggles happened right so it was way back then um, and um, yeah I had this entertainment company and and I often laugh I think I'm probably on like about 300 home videos as a fairy um, entertaining at like four or five girls parties. So that was my previous life. And you know how I often joke about that nothing is wasted. I think I do lots of public speaking these days for all the things I talk about. And one of the best learnings I ever had was having to walk into a room of 25 four-year-olds and capture their attention. And I was like, if you can do that, you can talk to anybody. <laughs> so I think that all these years of being a fairy has, um, has supported me well for the work I do now. So yeah, that was my fun fact about my previous life I love it fantastic and so before we finish what I would love for you to share is what services do you offer because like we went through there's you know so many different places and where can they find you list all of them Okay, so I'll start with birth. So for birth-related stuff, um, we have a beautiful online program, which is all about um, just giving you all the information if you don't get to hospital classes, and it's called aboutbirth.com.au, um, and that's where we've got all our birth stuff. And you can also find us, um, my partner and I, Jules, teaching calm birth and also birth debriefing or doula support. Um, I don't do that doula support anymore, but my partner, Jules, does. And that work uh, sorry, that website is called birthworkshops.com.au. And then for my parenting stuff, um, you can find me at Lael's 
lalestone.com.au. So that's L-A-E-L-S-T-O-N-E.com.au. That just talks about some of my events and stuff. I'm just having a redo of my website, which will be launched next year, hopefully. So um, that'll have lots of my information. Um, then the podcast, you can find us at the awareparentingpodcast.com. Uh, oh, no, sorry. That's just on the Aware Parenting Podcast if you go to iTunes or you can find us on Instagram and, and Facebook for that. Um, for my, there's a lot of things here. Um, for my primary school, uh, if you if you're interested in that, that is woodlineprimary.com.au. And I'm also about to start working with the Resilience Project next year, which is really exciting. I'm going to be doing um, talks on parenting talks on creating resilience as a parent. So the Resilience Project is an amazing organisation that's all over Australia. I'm sure many people have heard of the Resilience Project. So I'm going to be talking in lots of um, schools next year. And we're also going to have public events as well, where anybody can come along and and hear about that. So I'm going to be doing the Resilience Project next year as well, which is really exciting. Um, and I'm on Instagram at Laylstone and on Facebook at Laylstone. And that's where I put most of my events. So if anybody wants to come to a workshop or work one-on-one with me, you can contact me through those um, those forums. So I do work one-on-one with parents over Skype online or um, I'm in Brighton East and I do see um, families or parents face-to-face. I just work with parents, not the kids. So if people want extra support. So there's all my things. Well, we've come to the end of this episode. And if you love hearing from inspiring and entertaining Melbourne mamas, subscribe to Mamas on a Mission. Bonus hugs to all of you who also take the time to leave a review. Thank you. If you're keen as beans for more information about the podcast, my guests or myself, jump over to motherhoodmelbourne.com.au. Okay, mama, that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in.